Hello, iGaming Intelligentsia. Before we start today's podcast, here is a message from our sponsors. The iGaming Next podcast is made possible with the support from our sponsors at Pragmatic Solutions, leaders in intelligent platform technology. I've been working with Ashley, Lewis and the guys over at Pragmatic Solutions over the last year. And as the early supporter of this podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. The Pragmatic Solutions Player Account Management Platform is an incredibly powerful technology stack for today's gaming business. Their modern modular platform provides all the core services to power your business and their SaaS licensing model allows you to reduce cost and accelerate your strategic goals. Enterprise technology with decades of operational know-how at scale built in. Upgrade your business to the Pragmatic Solutions PAM platform. Visit www.pragmatic.solutions to arrange a platform demo. This podcast is brought to you by Kalamba Games, where they build the world's most engaging slots. To find out more about their hit titles, promotional tools, and Bullseye Remote Gaming Server, visit kalambagames.com. I have the privilege of being friends with several of the guys over at Kalamba, and they are fantastic. And I'm not saying that to be invited to one of their legendary office pool parties. Um, or maybe I am. In any case, check out kalambagames.com. This podcast is brought to you by BitCasino, the leading Bitcoin-led casino operator that has an expansive quality casino product featuring close to 3,000 games, including slots, table games, and live dealer casinos from some of the industry's leading suppliers. Head over to bitcasino.io to find your favorite games. Future trends, deep insights, industry leaders. This is the iGaming Next podcast with your host, Pierre Lind. Neil, how's it going? Good afternoon. Yeah, good, thank you. Good afternoon, good afternoon. I'm, I'm very well, thank you uh, as well, uh, Hanil. We'll be, we've been sitting here together now for the last uh, half hour, just having mm. an absolutely wonderful uh, conversation. And I, I don't think that it was recorded, but I really hope it was actually. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, because it was, it was really uh, interesting to sit down and just have a little pre-conversation with you here before mm. the, the podcast started. But um, nonetheless, Neil, um, you're the CTO of uh, iSoftBet. Mm. Uh, you, you come a little bit from outside of the industry. You've been now with our industry for the, uh, for the last year or so. Uh, do you, what did you start by introducing yourself a little bit and your background, where you come sure. from and so on? Yeah, yeah. So um, as you mentioned, name's Neil, CTO at iSoftBet. So um, I guess my, my background is I've been in technology for be 20 years now, um, working my way through various different roles from help desk through to getting my hands dirty in data centers through to then running teams and thinking quite uh, quite deeply about what, what it is that uh, makes tech really work for a business. Hmm. And um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so I, I kind of uh, worked in a business for just under 10 years and I decided that after I didn't want my 10-year reward, nothing wrong with B&Q vouchers, but <laughs> I, I felt that it was time for me to move into different industries. So I kind of moved into a public sector and then I've done some uh, a few different roles in public sector and then I moved back into private sector looking at fintech for some smaller organizations 
and then moved into um, another organization that was uh, looking to float on the stock exchange. So I've been through two IPOs in my career um, based in the UK, gone through uh, that process, which is uh, always quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up in Vinay Gaming. And again, I, I think the, the key for me is just to be in many different industries and then try and apply technology to to any industry that, that, that I can really. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, coming from a full career outside of gaming and then jumping into our industry, like what were your impressions of the industry? Was it, was it, did it take uh, some time to kind of get your mind around how the industry works? Um, uh, how can it, how do you compare it to previous industry that you've been working in? I, I don't think I fully um, got my head around exactly how the industry works, but then that's probably more of a, I really like to intrinsically understand stuff. Um, but I think I understand it well enough now to kind of see how it operates. And I think the key for me is that you're in an organization that's that's looking to grow, looking to transform and has a certain degree of scale. And, and I think once you are in a business that can transform and has scale, then um, you can uh, you can really apply tech properly to it. So I don't know whether that makes sense, but but ultimately we can... You get the ability to, yeah. Let, let me let me, I, I guess, apply a different example. <clears throat> in that, when you're in a business with scale, then you you actually have to optimize what you do. Mm-hmm. So it's easy just to go into a business and do something that's functional, but then the real skill comes in when it needs to be functional and perform. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yes, as a as a newcomer to this industry. Um, and coming in as the CTO, mm-hmm. I mean, this must be an absolute joy to work in this uh, industry in uh, considering how close, uh, like how much data is being captured, how, like, mm. like recognizing patterns in the industry. Uh, uh, there's so much data points to, to get uh, uh, to know your customer and to kind of deliver these unique experiences. And that is kind yes. of a little bit what the operators want in the end of the day. And you as an aggregator want to understand the customer's on an individual basis, is that uh, yeah. that's fair to say, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, I, yeah, I think you, you can you can take standard metrics that mm. are in, in the industry now, and you can look at what Amazon and Netflix do for the recommendation engine, and and you can use the marketing um, marketing analysis where you want to understand the lifetime value of a customer, and and there's there's various ways that you can bring in these complex um, data structures to to understand that. And I think the and one of the key successes is try and keep that really simple. And for me, it's about customer segmentation. It's looking at how do you understand a customer that interacts with your game, either for a very small amount of time versus playing for a longer period of time. Someone who likes to have more skin in the game, if you like, to to put um, their money on the line for the excitement of what they could potentially win. <clears throat> then I think that's really interesting. And that's where I want to build a platform that enables us to understand that and then to apply those models and then look at running in a digital twin way, <clears throat> which I think is where the where the really interesting uh, tech answers yeah. can come out of. Yeah, super fascinating stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to dig into that uh, in general. We're, we're going to come to that as well, the digital mm. twin, uh, a bit later in the conversation. But um, I wanted to kind of start off a, a little bit today with, um, uh, you know, I thought that just release is 
white paper that, uh, that mm. you uh, co-wrote as well, yes. which is basically a six, seven page uh, document outlining uh, the future of uh, ISOPET, obviously, and how you view um, uh, the future of tech in the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, can, can you just talk a little bit, what, what's the general like ethos and thoughts behind this white paper? And can you just explain a little bit what's more what it contains? Uh, yeah, so the, the, the white paper really covers off what, what it is that we're looking to, to achieve. So mm-hmm. if we take a bit of a step back, then say I've been in the industry now for just about nine months. And um, the, the the position that we're in as a business is we're looking to get to that next level of scale. <clears throat> so I'm trying to bring in that new way of thinking and that bring it back to the first principles that mm-hmm. we've kind of touched upon before. So the white paper is there really just to kind of explore how we build a technology platform and i think that what we're going to see now is lots of consolidation within industry and i think it's important that we as a collective are sharing ideas and bringing them all together and ultimately what we should be doing is is bringing it out for the benefit of the player the people who enjoy enjoy the games that we produce mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a it's such an interesting um well and super well put together uh, white paper in general and i, I think you can find it on uh, isopet.com i saw you guys published it uh, yes. I th- i've read it like four times this white paper because i just thought it was so well put together and, and you know i'm i'm really interested in general in kind of where the industry is going where the trends are and how different uh, industry leaders are uh, seeing the future you know i think um it's an important question and one thing that you guys raised in 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 the synopsis of the white paper is the fact that um, uh, there's a feeling that the agami industry really needs to kind of speed up its efforts uh, a bit mm-hmm. in, on the technology front that uh, other industries are perhaps uh, accelerating a bit quicker than the agami industry um, can you t- talk a little bit more about what you uh, what you mean by that and expand a little bit more on where the agami industry is lagging behind? <clears throat> yeah, so I think the it's the know your customer and mm. understand how people are interacting with your systems, which is uh, really key and how they're interacting with your games. Again, that segmentation piece. Mm. And I think it's uh, the amount of information that we can get from, and it's the IOB as we term it in the paper, the in, yeah. uh, Internet of Behavior. Then it's to bring all of that information together and find the customer segmentation as well as then merging it with other pieces of data, which might be the happiness index, or it could be the location, it could be the weather, it could be all these kinds of things. And you'll actually find that there's something unique that hasn't been discovered before. And I think that's the exciting thing. So it's bringing all of those data points together. And then one of the key things that we're looking to do is to produce an aggregation platform that becomes really transparent. Yeah. And and that's probably the core premise of the strategy that we have. And, you know, I've made the point that we need to be thinking longer term than our competitors. So a lot of people work on a three-year schedule, um, you know, financial cycle because of accounting purposes. Or if you're in the public sector, then you operate on a four-year term because of elections uh, based in the UK, that is. And then mm-hmm. some businesses then operate on a five-year term. Again, there's some kind of accountancy reason behind that. But I think seven years is something which really enables us to build something unique and something really different and that puts us in the top 1% of businesses when we're thinking in that longer term approach. And so the aggregation platform itself should be there as being very simple. Whereas at the moment, an aggregation platform was, was quite unique 
10 years ago. Now mm. it's really just if we pair it back, then it's three or four core functions. And we can use uh, external um, products. We can use external services, whether it be SaaS or whether it be open APIs, in order to be able to drive that now. Mm. So the value comes in how we integrate those open source products together. Yeah. And then that enables us as a business to focus on what humans need to do or people need mm. to do. Mm. And that's where I think as, as a business, you drive that value by driving the efficiency. Tech becomes transparent and then people can do the creative things and come up with the ideas. And that's where we can get the people to look at the data the internet of behavior, <clears throat> bring it all together and look at creative ways of, of using things like spin time and mm. um, when they visit, what time of the day they visit, you know, we can probably intonate whether they're night owls or, um, you know, whether they're doing it for half an hour and lunch break, mm. whether they're shift workers and they're doing it at three o'clock in the morning, then all of these things, you know, we can bring in and we can perhaps understand uh, you know what would drive their engagement and what's right mm. for that particular player and individual as well yeah interesting so so kind of what you're saying is like um you know x amount of years ago uh, a game, game aggregator was great because you have kind of a turnkey solution it's easy to plug in and you get access to all this content um but now it's become a, a bit commoditized the aggregation model itself and what you want is kind of like uh, the aggregation model is there, but what you can contribute with is like all this rich like data yes. and APIs and plugins. And, and that is where kind of you as Isopet see that this yes. is heading basically. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So if you, if you look at, a, at an aggregation platform, mm. then there's very few pieces of information, you know, spend time, bet value. <clears throat> That, that you can obtain, but the metadata about when they happen mm. and how often they happen is what's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that bringing that data together, I think is where there's going to be value creation. Absolutely. And then if we tie that into um, producing the digital twin, so we, we produce this data warehouse and then we have a digital twin concept, which means that we can replay how people interact with our games and we can see if we were to change a particular parameter whether it's a um, rtp um, or whether it's a, um, a spin time then i think that's that again that that's how we understand the impact that has on the player now one of the key points here is that you can spend a lot of time optimizing a product and let's say reducing latency because you think that's what people want but below a certain threshold people cannot comprehend faster latency so <laughs> um but then there is the flip side to that where it may be that absolutely they can <laughs> and there's it's like people who talk about vinyl that there's vinyl just sounds different <laughs> But it hasn't got, you know, it's got that could you, could you, could you, when you're, when you're playing it, the people who are old enough to have vinyl letters, but it has a warmth to it. And, and I think that's, that's what we'll, we'll obtain. Uh, I like that analogy, mm. going back to basics. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so I'm interested as well, Neil. I mean, uh, we, we've talked a lot about like first principle thinking uh, as a way to 
uh, to kind of break down, you know, first of all, what is the, the business model of, the, of an organization and then kind of build a, a strategy around first principle thinking. Like, can, can you explain a bit more um, what does first principle thinking mean to you and how has this um, kind of influenced the white paper that you put together? So because I've come outside of the industry, then you know, I really wanted to take a, a good look at what iGaming is. <clears throat> and so first principles for me is, is taking something which appears very complicated and really breaking it down into the three or four core elements to, uh, to an aggregation platform or games. And, and that's, uh, that's what I'm working to, to kind of obtain and I've kind of built a bit of a model internally that, that we use which is part of my strategy that I have and and we're really starting to look at we've got this aggregation platform we've got games you've got gamification mm-hmm. but again the number of data points that you have the unique data points that you have for a player is actually quite small but the number of players you have mm-hmm. is huge mm-hmm. so then the number of transactions that you have <laughs> is also huge it's exponential again then um then it's how do we um how do we build a platform which is extensible again making it incredibly simple Mm -hmm. so it's it's easy to make something complicated it's really hard to make something simple and that's mm. the key that I want to be able to do is to mm. get it so, so it's really simple. And uh, and the white paper itself is to bring that together. And, and I think the, the key concepts that we have is that we're going to collect that data, which is the Internet of Behaviors. Then we use that data into AI and machine learning, which then we apply into our digital twin, mm. which then enables us to really understand behaviors and start to tweak Mm. things like gamification and mass models so that we give the players the best experience yeah. and and that's where i think that we'll win um, and operators will value the information that we have and can see um, how to enhance things for the player as well yeah i think yeah, it's such a good exercise for any organization to kind of build their strategy around first principle thinking mm. and we, we talked before here a, a great example of, of our of our dear um, idol, let's say, uh, Elon Musk, mm. uh, who built uh, Tesla and, and just his ethos in general, he built it uh, uh, around first principle thinking, which is the fact that, um, okay, let's take, let's break down SpaceX. Uh, okay, the, the, um, the, we are not a sustain, we don't live in a sustainable, in a sustainable way on this, on mm. this planet. Uh, therefore, if humanity is going to survive, we have to eventually leave the planet. Um, yeah, uh, we have to leave the planet for Mars, and therefore uh, SpaceX has a mm. use case. Let's say that's yes. the first principle thinking of, and the first principle thinking of um, uh, of Tesla was broken down in his business model, in the way where he said, "We have X amount of money. Uh, it's not that many, that much money, uh, but we're gonna use this money to build an expensive car for the ultra rich. Okay, then, then we're gonna sell those cars." Mm-hmm. We're gonna take that money that we made, and we are going to make a uh, uh, we're gonna make a, a car that is uh, targeting the rich, not the ultra rich, but the rich. And we're gonna make a, uh, some more cars, basically, than than in the first uh, um, phase. Then we're gonna sell those cars, and we're gonna take the money that we created here again, and we're gonna go into phase three, which is the mass market car. Mm-hmm. So it's phase one, uh, like a limited amount of cars for the ultra rich. Phase two. Uh, a bit more cars for the like medium rich let's say mm-hmm. and phase three 
we're gonna go to mass market and that's exactly what he what he ended up doing mm-hmm. with, with tesla and that's the foundation of the entire company you know that is, that is built on first principle thinking like that i think it's, it's just such a healthy way to approach uh, what is the uh, what, what is the uh, what is the purpose of your organization in the in the end of the day mm-hmm. you know yes yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think to a certain degree, as, as a business grows mm-hmm. in the same way with ISOFBET, then you know, we, we've, we've grown to a point where we're doing billions of transactions mm-hmm. and we want to get to the point where we can do tens of billions. Then it's yeah. about how do we take what we have today and we have this fantastic opportunity to, mm-hmm. to invest in a new platform <clears throat> that I think if we pair it back to first principles thinking, do it mm-hmm. in a really efficient way, Mm. And then we focus on the games and we focus on the data that mm. we obtain. Then that's how we drive efficiency and we use automation to be able to, to do that. And then we apply our people, mm. which let's face it, that's the, the, one of the primary expenses of business is, is people to, to what they can do best. You mm. know, there's not, no point in having a person to do what can be automated. Mm. And I think that's that's a, a really key principle to the design that I have is how do we automate everything? How do we make it yeah. auto-scaling? Uh, how do we um, apply complex machine learning models to to really understand what the players want? Yeah, <clears throat> and that, that is the, that's the interesting part there because using first principle thinking, when you break down the company, when, like, when, I, when like you dress down the company uh, uh, to, to its core, Mm-hmm. And then you say, okay, what are we aiming to do here? Like you're saying, we want to go from you know one billion transactions to ten billion transactions. Okay, uh, so then you realize, okay, by using first principle thinking, you know that to be able to scale, we have to automate. Mm-hmm. So this is in the white paper as well. You say whatever the principle, whatever can be automated, should be automated. Yeah. Can, can you? Uh, it's interesting to me as well. Can you go in a little bit more in that principle uh, about whatever can be automated should be automated? And are there any uh, exceptions to that rule? Because uh, mm. I would think that sometimes you also need that like human yeah. side to certain decisions. Yeah, yeah so I, it, it's from an operational perspective, then we can say, well, we can build a, and we'll call it an environment. So, um, you know, it's kind of a, an environment in a box is generally how I term it. So we bring all of the different technology together, which would form an aggregation engine <clears throat> and allow us to, to host games on it and we can do that um, as a one large system where everybody uses it or we can break it down into a regulated environment um, or we can take it a step further and we can break it down to an operator level or we can um, operate at a um, European level um, or you know a continent level so there's there's a number of different ways we can do it or we can do a mixture of all of those mm. so the ability for us to spin up an environment and have it ready to to provide the customers with the experience they want is absolutely key but then as that starts to grow mm. then we want it to grow with the customers so that's how we achieve our efficiency mm. <clears throat> and uh, it will it will grow during the day mm. if that's our busiest time if we're on a different continent then it grows at night mm. rather than during the day and we don't want to pay for um, for a, a, a set of servers for a particular 
a high watermark, then we want to be able to do it. And that's all stuff which the industry's been doing for for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Then you know, I think we can we can bring that into um, into the the iGaming industry as well. Mm. Interesting. Uh- and uh, looking into kind of the future now in in, in general, um, I know something as well that you you talk a lot about uh, a lot about this um, uh, AI uh, machine mm-hmm. learning. Uh, you mentioned Internet of Behavior here uh, in general. I'm, I'm curious to just know um, on the uh, on the AI machine learning side of things. Something you mentioned is to build, for example, uh, recommendation engines which are similar to uh, Netflix mm-hmm. uh, and um, Amazon, obviously, and, and other tech products. How come that uh, Netflix have had this recommendation engine for the last 10 years and um, supposedly in the gaming industry there is no clear uh, recommendation engines uh, that is a function so far? Yeah, so I think there there are um, recommendation engines which which exist in in some of the operators but I, I think it's how do we provide that in a in a good way that's a standards approach. And, mm-hmm. and I think that it comes down to how do we collect the, um, the internet of behavior <clears throat> and how do we find the, the way that users interact with different games mm-hmm. and whether it's, uh, whether it's a particular theme or whether it's a mega ways or whether it's just a, you know, some people like it quite simple, then, then I think we can often see that someone goes from one game to another and then if we segment those people out using big data using ai and machine learning models then then we'll start to produce more and more interesting results but i think as we there was something i was um uh, listening to the other day where it was people wanting to break out of algorithms okay. so it was more like a spotify thing that when you go on spotify then uh, they decide what songs they think you would like to listen to and so there was a challenge as to how do you discover new music mm. when all of the algorithms just tell you it's the same music? And I think that's going to be key for, for us as well, is that you know we need to find the games that people like to switch from one game to another. And then we can throw in a few games that perhaps the algorithms don't come up with, but we think someone might like, and we can see how they react yeah. and you see how they play. <clears throat> yeah, mm. interesting. And... Um... So staying on the topic of AI and machine learning in, in general, um, it's also something that just interests me uh, mm. in, in general. I try to follow as much as I can on a, on a layman level, of course. Uh, but, uh, you know, from your perspective, what are the, um, uh, you know, what are like some of the major use cases for uh, AI and machine learning, do you think, uh, in, uh, let's, let's say in the next coming few years in, in general, in tech, mm. and also um, what uh, use cases do you see for the gaming industry in its entirety as well? What's your what's your feeling on AI? Because it feels almost like AI is such a hype word right now, right? Everyone's yeah. AI, yeah. and there's this concept of AI winters and AI summers mm-hmm. that AI has existed since uh, you know the the fifties or sixties, uh, right? And yeah. it's gone through hype cycles during during those decades, and right now we are in a hype cycle again where AI is being used everywhere, but um, but it it doesn't seem necessarily always that the, the progression is as quick as the perception of of uh, AI is. Just uh, t- talk a little bit more, like just your um, opinions on AI and kind of use cases. And yeah, I think um, if we peel it back to mm. AI in general, then I think AI is very one dimensional at the moment. 
and I don't think it's got to that point where it can really take a bit of a step back and think about things in general. And so it, it, it's how do we use AI, but AI on its own is, I think is relatively rudimentary where AI potentially is going to start to show its value actually is in machine learning, which you can kind of argue, well, what's the difference between AI and machine learning? Whereas I think machine learning is really AI applied to a larger data set. So I think AI in general, then, you know, it's a bit one dimensional. And when you apply machine learning, then I think that's where it's going to be. That's where we're going to see the more interesting concepts. But again, I, I think that's, that's where I talked about in the, in the white paper that just machine learning on its own. Mm. And again, that, that it's, it's prof you could argue it's two dimensional, but then when you use digital twins and then you can apply concepts and you can tweak things, it's a bit like AB testing that, that you have, then that's where I think the real power comes from it. So you apply the AI machine learning and the digital twins then then that's where you're going to see some really interesting innovation i think with with the eye gaming industry and with aggregation as well and that's the, where the internet of behavior comes in <clears throat> then bringing them all together mm. then again if you look at how you use cloud products today then a cloud product on its own what value does it have the value comes in how you do the system integration and bringing it all together mm -hmm. and and so I think we'll always be in this winter summer from an AI perspective because we're trying to find ways of applying it which is yeah. I guess a, an interesting segue then to be able to look at blockchain and yeah. you know obviously blockchain existed because of Bitcoin <laughs> um, but now blockchain is there with smart contracts then now it almost takes on a completely different um, dimension yeah and i think that's going to be the key for us to bring all that together so and again the the white paper here that that we've written covers off both the internet of behavior which arguably is well it's relatively simple but it's it's capturing a huge amount of data doing machine learning again that's where people will come in and sort of generate um algorithms based on the information they've got and apply that AI to it <clears throat> and then run it in a digital twin. And then the aggregation platform itself is how do we do it as cheaply and as efficiently as possible? And then if we can apply standard technologies like AI and machine learning along with blockchain from a transactional perspective, then that's where, again, it starts to take on a real life of its own. And so yeah. from, from my observations of working in aggregation businesses for uh, well over 10 years now and then having come back into the iGaming industry which is also partially an aggregation business mm. then that's the thing that really excites me because again we can just make the technology really transparent so the aggregation then is just a commodity <clears throat> and it's what we do with the machine learning and digital twins that really drives the business value yeah, yeah, that's mm. what sets you apart. So, say what you do, yeah. with the, what you how, yeah. like, how you can be creative to use the data that you are able to collect. Yeah. Uh, so, say, super interesting. So, so we mentioned a couple of different concepts here: um, Internet of Behavior and the and the digital twin. And um, I'm curious uh, on the digital twin uh, sort of thing. So, if I understand it correctly, what you are saying is that you can use the data that you that you have created, 
and then kind of applying machine learning to the past data you can you can do a b testing but in a like a, in a virtual environment so to say yes so instead of doing it in kind of test, doing a b testing uh, in, in a live environment um, so say you can do that in a much kind of rapid more rapid pace kind of thing and exactly. and you can you can come to much more deeper insights on on uh, uh, taking decisions like for example what is the optimal rtp mm-hmm. um uh, and uh, and so on as so well can, can you talk a bit more like how far can you how far can you develop this technology today and do you expect there to be um, uh, a point in the future where you can really create this like very rich environments that you can create this uh, 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 prediction uh, from using machine learning <clears throat> then uh, i mean today there's ultimately i think it comes down to how much um, how much it costs uh, yeah. ironically in that today yeah. it's absolutely possible huh. but it's it can be quite expensive to do because yeah. you're doing it at such scale and yeah. it's only when you do it at scale that you can derive the true value from it. So I think it, com- it purely comes down to the cost implications that you know you can do it multiple times a day, but it will cost you a fortune. Okay. And uh, so we can peel it back. But I think one of the one of the key, really interesting points that we, we talked about there was changing the RTP. Yeah. Now, doing A/B testing with real players then that has regulatory implications. Mm. So doing it in a digital twin way, Mm. again, that's where the value comes out. So how do you peel it back to first principles thinking (laughs) if you can't do it at the right level of scale? Mm. And you also have the regulatory requirements to it, which some of my background is working within public sector in a very regulated world, but also working in businesses that have floated on the London Stock Exchange where... Again, there's a huge amount of regulation there about proving the value of a business. <clears throat> so, um, and I, I think that that's one of the real values that that we can get out of that digital twin. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. So, so is that? Uh, I mean, like I said, I'm a bit of a layman in, in this mm. subject, but it's uh, interesting to me. Um, so, uh, would you even predict that, like, A/B testing in the future uh, is that always going? I mean, when it Let's say let's let's make the assumption that uh, creating these models will become more efficient, more cheaper, and so forth. Do you think that there's a point where doing A/B testing in a live environment uh, in any sector will become irrelevant? That you kind of do A/B testing uh, in uh, in a virtual setting? Mm. Yeah, it's. Um, <laughs> I I think it will just be you'll need to do a lot less. Yeah. So I think you can build a hypothesis. Mm. Um, then you can use machine learning AI to prove that hypothesis and mm. maybe do some simple A-B testing. So you just, you're just you iterating more rapidly, mm. I think, than as an organization. And that's the thing which helps us accelerate the industry as well and helps us either innovate, <clears throat> which we innovate faster than our competitors, which then means the operators want to engage better uh, and engage more with us which then builds builds the brand yeah um or it is that we we're helping the industry as a whole to to come together and one of the things that we touch upon there as well is the uh, the flock which is how do we understand a player's journey across multiple game providers or across multiple operators 
and how do we collaborate across the industry? And again, I think that we should be focusing on what gives the best experience to the player. And that's one of our key strategy points as an organization is how do we focus on giving the player that premium experience? Mm. Yes, very interesting. Uh, and also, as you're saying on the topic of the future uh, in general, like um, what emerging technologies are you like most? I mean, you're a CTO with Nila. Mm. I mean, this is this is your life. I mean, yeah. emerging technologies. I mean, how they, you can't. You can't think of a more exciting topic, I think, if you're a CTO. Mm. Like, um, what, what's your, what are you, what, what emerging technologies are you most excited for? Um, let's say, again, both when it comes to just where the world is heading uh, mm -hmm. in general for you personally, and then also what emerging technologies are most interesting to the gaming industry. Yeah, um, yeah. it's a relatively simple answer. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I think principle. the, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, so I think uh, first um, first point for me is that we're going to see a lot of consolidation and then we're going from a world where I think everything is built, everything is built customized to a commoditization. So how quickly we as an industry and as businesses can just make tech really transparent, I think that's what excites me. So then um, tech isn't seen as this Ooh, oh, it's this mm. this expense that we have. Tech is this true enabler. Mm. Then I think CTOs will become more business focused rather than technology focused mm. because the technology is say becomes the easy bit. Exactly, yeah. Then I think the second answer to the question, um, at the moment, I think the blockchain and smart contracts, mm. then I, I think that's something which I'm... Uh, really, really intrigued by in in a similar way that I kind of felt when when the iPhone came out in two thousand and seven or whenever it was that yeah. there was just a well okay this this just means now that we've developed this platform which has an app store, which then means that we can provide any degree of innovation mm -hmm. and and that's something that I want to take into our platform is mm -hmm. bring it back to that first principles thinking creating the platform which just looks at aggregation games mass model and gamification and then we can apply anything over that mm -hmm. and we can innovate for the next 10 years mm -hmm. on that platform mm -hmm. and if we are if we do that using commoditized applications or commoditized technology such as blockchain then we know that it's very reliable now that it's stood the test of time really you could argue you know, it came out around about 2008, I believe. Then now with Ethereum and smart contracts, then I just wonder about how much we can put in there to to put in mass models, for example, within the smart contracts so that we know that when something happens, then the players won. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It's, a, it's such an interesting comparison. You mentioned, um, you know, when the iPhone was launched, um, what a paradigm shift it was and what it meant with the app store and so forth mm -hmm. and um, yeah I mean the, the general running theme of today is a little bit first principle so yeah so um, the interesting thing with the iPhone is is that I think the revolution with the iPhone was not that it was like a touchpad and, and that you could actually like uh, you know it wasn't the buttons one two three four five six um, uh, although that obviously opened up to the possibility um, to create this platform where the in innovation was not any longer in the hands of Apple, mm. 
mm-hmm. um, what you can use this device for. <clears throat> like before the iPhone, when Nokia created a phone, you were delivered this phone and whatever content was on it. And what you see is what you get, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and 100% of the innovation was in the hands of Nokia to create the, both the software and the hardware. Whereas on opening up the App Store and uh, in combination with the touchpad and, and the other things, mm-hmm. it opened up the world to innovate on this device. Yes. Right. So all the apps that you are using are not made by Apple. Mm-hmm which was the case with Nokia. Yes. They are made by different companies who then spawn to become billion uh, euro companies uh, yeah. eventually, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, a, a great analogy in general using here. And that's what you are trying to, uh, to create uh, here. With yeah, and, and, that's, some extent. and that's what I want to create with our platform mm-hmm. is that I'm creating the, the iPhone, mm-hmm. which is just the commoditized thing that, you know, it's a bit like we've both yeah. got iPads here and that we're both using them for a... Yeah wide range of purposes and yeah. it's only because there's been apps generated that you'd ever realize that you could do what yeah. you can do with, with with an iPad or an iPhone mm. and I, I want to build that platform mm. which effectively then is allowing other people and those other people could be my organization or it could mm. be people outside of the organization to innovate and to be, produce games which are um, the likes we've never seen and all yeah. of a sudden it starts to bring in a whole new generation of players or yeah. um, uh, it, it allows players to play differently so a bit like Megaways did and you know we, we know that exactly. recently yeah. there's um, the Nick wasn't it that um, big time gaming that mm. sold his business to evolution yeah. and you look at that with 12 employees it's, it's 450 million then the value that he created there mm. is amazing yeah. because he licensed that technology then yeah. you know i think that there's um, and you look at the value of apple yeah <laughs> and where they came from when they created that device and all of a sudden they've just opened the world up yeah. and you know that that's something that i'm really passionate about was creating as well and i don't yet know how we'll do it yeah. but i'm absolutely convinced if we stay on our trajectory with the first principles thinking then mm. we can really produce something quite interesting yeah it's super interesting and so you mentioned the transparency in tech and and kind of that open up uh, the the possibilities to not feel this like fear of tech or or whatnot so i um, I have a question for you so i guess there's two ways you can see this like uh blockchain is completely transparent right like you there's nothing that you cannot see what's happening on the blockchain that's the power of the blockchain is decentralized no one can change it it is what it is, and you can track um, track it openly. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, looking at AI, for example, um, in some way you could argue that AI is the opposite to transparency, because um, like neural networks, um, uh, for example, are so advanced that a human being, no matter if you are the CTO of Isopet mm-hmm. or <laughs> any other company, it's impossible to understand how they come to the conclusion they come to. Do you see that as an issue as well when you start scaling AI that um, you have to have that level of trust in the AI without knowing sometimes why it takes the decision? Does that make sense? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, I I mean, my initial thought was that that's why I think blockchain is really interesting. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was researching blockchain the other day to see how much can it scale to. So, you know, for, for me, I, I think that we should be using blockchain for, for all of those. And that's where it talks about that 
integration element. So I'm not talking about going out to a public blockchain provider. I'm talking about running a blockchain within an environment, which then it's just transaction after transaction after transaction. And whether that transaction is a bet or whether that transaction is these are the symbols that for this spin, <clears throat> then it could be that we have different blockchains for each of those. And that's how we achieve the scale. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, I, I still think there's, there's, the answers aren't going to come until you get your hands dirty with this stuff. But, you know, it's a bit like if you were to ask Elon Musk how he was going to create the rockets, <laughs> he didn't know, no. but he, he's got the help of people at NASA um, NASA support him. He's obviously got the help of U.S. presidents, and he knew that he could achieve this, but mm. he didn't know how he was going to do it. And, and I guess in, in in the same way, then I think that there's a huge amount of innovation that we can do within this industry. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but I can't specify exactly how. But I think if we're using blockchain and we use blockchain for different purposes and it's like you would scale a database, then you can have databases for transactional information and databases for reporting information and they have different usage concepts and um, one will scan, one just wants to write really quickly. So one's quite fragile, whereas one is ultra reliable. So you either, you know, if you look at blockchain, it will write the transaction and then distribute it to lots of other systems, but it does it slowly, but you absolutely know that it's written yeah. or you can go the other way where it's just written. It's written very quickly, but if you lose that transaction at that particular microsecond, then you may lose that financial transaction. Yeah. So it's always a trade off between them. So, you know, it's that uh, time cost quality triangle that I always use and I always say everything is three dimensional. So if we go back to your question about AI and, and sort of what could go wrong, then I think AI doesn't have that concept of the three dimensions. You know, AI just is uh, check this KPI and that KPI. Mm. And if it goes beyond this, then do this. Yeah. Whereas the key is then we can look at it and think, oh, hang on a second, you know, it's doing that. But then it's actually a cold day, so more people are likely to be inside. So something's gone wrong. And uh, actually, we had an event the other day, which meant that we released some new code that operated in a way to make the transaction slower. And now we're seeing the backing up of those transactions. Then that's where I think you need the humans in order to, to really try and understand it. And using blockchain for that, I think, is a is a really interesting concept, but it's how we can scale blockchain. And I mm -hmm. think that's going to be the, the key point. Yeah, it, it feels, you know, like, uh, like, like listening to you speak about blockchain, in a, in a way, it's, you know, we, it's such early days for the blockchain still. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, we, we're, we're sitting here at 2021 and, and, and um, you know, we are making these predictions that, you know, in the future, uh, blockchain will kind of um, set some form of standard for how we, uh, how we do business in a more open way. And it almost reminds me of like how it must have been in like 1996 or something mm. like this. Um, and as the, 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 I don't know if the CTO was a thing back then, but probably was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, of mm. course, not six still computers, of course. Uh, but um, a CTO at that time would make the same argument for how we need to adapt our business for the internet. You know, uh, we don't know exactly how things are going to turn out with the, uh, with the internet. 
but we know that the world is going to be um, primarily, you know, run through the internet in many mm -hmm. different uh, ways, <clears throat> you know, and that's almost the feeling that I'm getting here yeah. a little bit. Yes. It's like 2.0 in some sense. Absolutely. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. So back in, I think it was around about 96, 97, then I was working um, for an organization then and I was um, writing uh, Perl scripts that effectively took a health desk system and that allowed our customers just to be able to go to our web page, type in their ticket number and to find the status. Hmm. Now, it's something really simple, hmm. but I just knew that it was the right thing to do. And, you know, the customers enjoyed that. But then it, it was, I did that on my spare time. <clears throat> you know, I did that because I was interested in it. Hmm. And, and I guess it's like now when I'm looking at blockchain, then I do it because I, I think it's, you know, we've we've got this, it's the right time and you know we can talk about virtual reality um, and you know vr and games but i just think that stuff didn't come together at the right time then whereas now we're seeing the internet that was 96 and then we saw the iphone that was 2006 ish now we're 2021 then we can start to see how do you commoditize a transaction <clears throat> yeah exactly and it's almost like every decade has its own kind of paradigm shift uh, in technology in the last couple of decades where like in the 90s it was the internet mm -hmm. in the 2000s it was the uh, the smartphone uh, and uh, moving over to kind of wireless uh, um, uh, computing mm -hmm. uh, I, I would say i would make the argument like the 2010s is like uh, social media in some sense you could say yes. um, and, uh, and now the 2020s is kind of like maybe it is the blockchain and what's going to come out of yeah. that that will be the defining kind of technology of the decade, so to say. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, obviously now we're, we're live yeah. um, and you know, this can be played back to me in 10 years time, of course. And, uh, <laughs> and I may be wrong, but, yeah. but I guess uh, having seen some of these cycles, mm. then that just feels like there's something mm. different with blockchain and smart contracts that uh, uh, I, I believe that there's mm. some real innovation that we can do in yeah. that space. Can we can we break down uh, the, the concepts a little bit uh, as well, Neil? So, you know, we talk about the blockchain, there's Bitcoin, there's Ethereum, uh, and obviously other cryptos uh, as well in the space. But I would say that these three uh, expressions are the most relevant to me, at least. I mean, uh, Bitcoin, uh, obviously, it's it's um, it's all about moving money specifically on the blockchain. That's mm -hmm. the only thing you can do with Bitcoin, right? And, and um, what the the guys behind Ethereum realized is that what if we could transfer other things than just a cryptocurrency through the blockchain? Yeah. So I, um, as I understand it, mm. <laughs> then uh, I think it's it, then I'm no expert on it, but I know that Bitcoin arrived, and with Bitcoin, then. We had blockchain to to ensure that a transaction was done and it was done reliably and it was done without a central bank. Mm. So it's a medium for storing wealth. Mm. And then I think Ethereum uh, kind of joined and created its own cryptocurrency. But the real game changer for me was when they realized that you could put a macro in the blockchain that when certain... Uh, events are met then it's executed so it might be for instance i'm a player um, i get triple seven and therefore i win mm. then it's just allowing you to put 
a macro within um, within a blockchain. Yeah, and that makes because it is transparent. That means that the player never have to worry about um, the, the, the there's an element of trust there because they know that the the ledger is open, mm. obviously, so that uh, if you got the triple sevens, you can go back and verify that in the blockchain yourself, right? Yes. Which is not possible with the traditional. Mm -hmm. Uh, technology and, and that's kind of the power in, in in some way in the transferable into the agaming industry mm -hmm. using the using yes. blockchain technology yeah yeah there's going to be the the openness i think it's going to help with regulation um but i think the, the key for for me is that rather than everybody writing their own proprietary application <clears throat> and spending x number of man years developing an application mm -hmm. now we can scrap those number of man years mm -hmm. and we use those man years for producing a better product mm -hmm. to the customers. Mm -hmm. that, that's where I think the, the game changer is. So then it just takes that away. And it's the same as when you're using cloud technologies now and you've got software as a service or APIs that you can call upon. So you can run an API which gives you a random number mm. and we can integrate with that. We use a product which can help you with security. So you can have DDoS protection, whereas before DDoS protection was very expensive. Mm. And if you had DDoS protection, you needed to be on the internet and mm. that came with its own costs. Now you can do it relatively cheaply and anybody can do it. So it's democratizing mm. the the approach. So it's, um, I, you know, I think you gave the example before when we were offline about yeah. the, um, you know, the small crypto, um, Cryptocurrencies, um, cryptocurrencies, the um, <clears throat> NFTs. No, yes. the um, where you had the some of your cryptos. And oh, the CryptoPunks. Um, no, it was where you had some of your uh, your Bitcoin and then um, crypto exchanges. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, crypto exchanges. Yes. yes. Crypto exchanges. So now we can democratize crypto mm. exchanges. So mm -hmm. I think that's uh, it's all about how do we do things um, with with less manual building so yeah. whereas 10 years ago we needed to build an application platform yeah. we needed to build everything from scratch mm -hmm. and we need to code everything now we can just go out take a load of standard components integrate mm -hmm. them together and boom we have an environment then we can scale it based on country continent regulator um and, and, that, and that's then how we build a business then we can focus on doing again to come back to the internet of behavior make sure we automate it so it simplifies things and we can invest our time in making things easier. And that's where I think, you know, blockchain is that really interesting uh, concept that we have. And uh, I know we've talked about NFTs as well. And I think that's an, the next really interesting thing is to, it, um, you know, NFTs is something which I've been thinking about <laughs> recently as to, like you mentioned before, the, the, the punks that we, we, yeah. we talked about and, it's uh, how can you um, pay um, what they're currently asking for <laughs> a pixelated image. Yeah. Um, but that in itself is, is, again, a really interesting concept outside of iGaming. But I think it can be applied in iGaming and that if you want to have a premium experience, then there's the concept of fan tokens and um, you know the concept of being a VIP. Um, at a casino, I suppose. So it's it's bringing that experience then into the the online world. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. 
Can you can you break down a little bit? I mean, moving into the topic of NFTs, uh, like you, Neil, I'm very, very as as you know, we've had some really <laughs> interesting discussions on this uh, uh, before here. But um, uh, can we break down a little bit um, the uh, the uh, again the expressions here? So an an NFT, the difference between an NFT and a cryptocurrency or the US dollar, for that matter, is the fact that an NFT is something that is unique and not transferable to uh, something else uh, at, on a one-to-one ratio, let's say. Like if I have one dollar and you have one dollar and we transfer them to each mm-hmm. other, it doesn't make a difference. They are fungible, they are the same, right? Yes. Whereas uh, an NFT can be, for example, a piece of art. There's no, there's no two uh, pieces of art that are the same, yeah. right? Or, or whatever it may be, or in, or in the world of uh, on digital artistic crypto punks, which is uh, just super fascinating. I mean, mm. uh, the, the fact that there is this um, this concept called CryptoPunks by a company that's called Larva Labs, I believe. Mm. And they created basically 10,000 avatars that are pixelated, uh, you know, uh, pixelated little images. Mm-hmm. Um, no two CryptoPunks are the same, but you can, you know, the style of them are the same. So you, when you see one, you can kind of recognize that it's a CryptoPunk. <laughs> and they created a marketplace and people start transferring these, uh, they start buying them and they start transferring them on this marketplace. And out of the 10,000 CryptoPunks, the cheapest one on the marketplace, the cheapest one is like $40,000 right mm. now. Yeah. Uh, and the, the most expensive went for like $6 million uh, or something like that. Mm. It's just absolutely <clears throat> fascinating. Um, you know, so, um, so then you, you know, so there's a big NFT hype now. I think everyone has kind of heard NFTs, even if you don't know much about them, you kind of hear NFT a lot right now. And it's really worth to explore because it's really, it really challenges our uh, understanding of uh, what is it that gives something value. Because, an, because a CryptoPunk, you know, I can buy a CryptoPunk for 40000 uh, dollars and it's uh, it's just a jpeg you know and, and then mm-hmm. you say well it's just a jpeg then anyone can copy it right but um it's the same thing as if you if you wear a rolex for example on your, mm-hmm. or your watch like why, why do you why do you buy a rolex it's like is does it give you like some special indication of time it's like mm-hmm. no <laughs> it will show you the same time as the ten dollar watch and the donald duck uh, store yeah. that you buy right so, and the ten dollar one will be more accurate. Uh, probably yes, mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but but what it gives you is like some form of status, right? So when you go into a meeting or a networking event, people see that you have a Rolex, and uh, they give you credibility and status. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So similarly, that is the the essence of the CryptoPunks. So people buy a CryptoPunk, and then they use it as their avatar in clubhouse for example that i know mm. you come into our clubhouse <laughs> and uh or for example on linkedin or twitter and when other users see that you have a cryptopunk as your avatar they give you credibility and mm. status yeah uh, and then you say okay but why can't use anyone use a cryptopunk mm. yeah well you can wear a fake rolex as well and people do that right yes the difference here i think is that you can verify who is the owner of the CryptoPunk in two seconds because the ledger is public, mm-hmm. right? So if I use a CryptoPunk, which I clearly can't afford, 
uh, and then someone else is like hold on a minute like mm. and then he he goes um he goes and searches for this crypto bank and he sees that i am not the owner well what happens then i lose the credibility and uh, and the respect from that person mm. and, and the respect from the community and so on and so forth just like you would do if someone realized that you have a fake uh, rolex or yeah something. so we have gone full circle uh, here with the nfts where um, gaining res respect and credibility is now something that is attainable uh, on the internet, uh, just like it is in real life when you walk into the networking event wearing a Rolex for that very purpose. Mm. I just found that just very interesting in general. I don't know what you think. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a big topic and uh, it's yeah. not necessarily technology related, but yeah. I, I, I do find it um, really interesting. And I, I think mm. I'd probably take a slightly different angle on it in that what we've got is is a way of it's a store of wealth <clears throat> and uh, people can go and buy like you say a a, a non-genuine rolex and if you go and try and sell that then yeah i'll give you 100 quid for it mm. and then you know well it's not really worth anything and so well, well throw it in the bin not interesting anymore yeah. but if you buy a genuine rolex then you may have bought it 10 years ago and I don't know, it might cost you seven grand. And then you go to sell it today and you might be able to sell it for 13 grand. Mm. So it's the store of wealth, I think, which is there. So I think from an NFT perspective, then you're right, I had a look at the the the, the punks and I looked at them and, and I went through and thought, well, if I was gonna buy one, then can I find one with ginger hair? <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> and, pale, and pale skin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it was kind of bizarre that I would look at them, but but you're, you're right, and the value of them is just, just, just mm. um, I, I don't quite understand. So, I, I mean, I could probably rustle something up. I could probably find an app on, on my iPad, for example, that can mm. create me one. But yeah. again, that, that doesn't matter because that's the same as having a fake Rolex. Yeah. But the point of it is that you've got this, digital asset which has a signature which is on a public blockchain which people considers to be worth something and is willing to spend up to 6.757 million dollars <laughs> for this thing yeah. and uh, you know it does make you think well what, um, you know as a, I, i'm in my 40s now you know we were kind of brought up to to get a job and get a mortgage and to buy property mm. as that was seen the safe way of storing wealth or you invest in your pension and you invest in stocks and shares and i know we we talked briefly before but when you look at a share then a share is it's something that you buy based on the future earning potential of a business and the ability for the management to run that business in an ethical way, in a way that mm. that's what you're buying. Mm. And some people are willing to pay uh, however much it is for an Apple share mm. or the uh, Facebook, you know, fangs as, as they call it. Then why is that any different to an, an NFT? Then, mm. you know, it, 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 yes, we know that NFTs are then based on a cryptocurrency, whether it be Ethereum and Bitcoin being the two big ones mm. and they're very volatile mm. so until there's a stabilization of the price of a bitcoin or 
a Ethereum coin, Ether coin, I think they're called. Yeah. Then, then is is that a true store of wealth? But then actually, that volatility may be the fact that someone put money into a Bitcoin ten years ago, and now they can afford to buy a punk based mm. on the amount of profit that they've made, and it basically they're, they're happy to give one Bitcoin because it didn't really cost them much back in the day. Yeah. <clears throat> then I think it starts to get back to, uh, and you know, you talk about inflation, you can talk about quantitative easing, <laughs> you talk about the economies, and now we're in the COVID era, then how are we paying for all of the the measures, um, certainly back in the UK, where they're supporting businesses and they're uh, giving money and they're paying for the vaccines, then where does that come from? Mm -hmm. Then... You know, again, that that could be sovereign debt, as yeah. as we call it. <clears throat> yeah. Then um, you end up having inflation, and rather than um, holding a U.S. dollar, then you want to hold gold because it's it's a rare material, and there isn't much of it, and there isn't much more of it being found. Versus Bitcoin, which again, there is only a finite number of bitcoins. So it's the same as gold in that you might buy a portion of gold, but you don't ever put your hand on that gold bullion mm -hmm. or you can't afford that gold bullion because you only can buy a portion of it, which comes back again to the NFT in that you can't buy a portion of a punk. Mm, no. <laughs> you either own the digital signature on the blockchain or you don't. Yeah. And there's the uh, there's a lots of examples of the NFTs in that there's someone who bought the New York Times columnist's um, article for five hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and you're like, well, it's an article that you can just copy and paste. So why would you want to own it? Jack Dorsey's um, tw tweet as well. Um, there was uh, something else I read about a Banksy um, piece of art that someone. Um, digitized and then destroyed the the piece of art and again it kind of comes back to but but who are we to say well an nft isn't the right way to look at it and then if we tie that back now into iGaming then if i wanted a yeah, um, my own symbol <laughs> within yeah. a game and then that gives me satisfaction then who are you to say that that's not a wrong way for me to spend my time and my money by seeing my face come up on a reel? <laughs> <laughs> it may tickle me pink. It may be something that I'm really excited about. And, you know, that I, I quite like watches and, and I get a lot of satisfaction from from a mechanical mm -hmm. thing. And, uh, you know, so I think there's something there about that mechanics. Mm -hmm. But other people will say, uh, no, I'm, I'm just going to go with... Um, you know, with a, a hundred pound Casio, yeah, um, yeah. or I'm going to get a Swatch watch with a puppy dog on it. Then, yeah, yeah that that's that that's what they enjoy. Then yeah. it's the same with an NFT, isn't it? That if people are prepared to believe in that, and I think it's a cultural belief, mm. then who are we to argue? Yeah, exactly. Um, but I can say, Neil, if there was a slot machine with uh, with uh, with your okay. place as a slot, I'll play it any day of the week. <laughs> that's, that's definitely for sure. So, so as like as a closing thoughts on on the NFTs, I think as well, you know, you can you can make the same argument just if you own art, um, 
So let's say that you own the Mona Lisa and you know you store it at your at at your home as well. I'd, I'd like, still be doing this job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good good answer. Good answer. Uh, you, you know you'll still you you are not the painter of that uh, of 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 the Mona Lisa. You just own it, and you know. Similarly, when you say, you know, you buy the tweet of Jack Dorsey, you know, you're not the author of that tweet and you're like, why do you own it? But it's like the, it's like the bragging rights, you know, I'm mm. the owner of this tweet. And the same, same with, uh, with art, like famous art as well. It's like, uh, you know, I, I would, um, you have a connection to it, you know, and similarly, you have a connection to tech in general. And, you know, this is a piece of history in some sense. And, uh, and uh, now you're, you're, you are the owner of that. So you, you are connected to it. And. Same thing on the on the art side of things. It's like you're connected to the art. You know, you are really into um, uh, to the artist and what he has done and created. And now you feel a connection to this piece of art that you yeah. now own that he has, you know, put the uh, put the doors on and, and, and whatever. Yeah. So it's just I, I, I've been thinking about NFTs a lot lately, and I was a bit undecided uh, until recently, where kind of a, kind of the pieces came together a little bit more for me. I feel where they just isn't. Going back to first principles again, like they just in first principles, owning something digitally and owning something in person, um, in real life, it's just the same thing. It's like like, yeah. the, like the fundamentals are just the same. I think yeah. but that's why I believe that there's a future for NFTs. And then there might be corrections in the market. You know, these prices are insane right now. You know, mm -hmm. but um, uh, for the I, th I think the NFTs are definitely here to stay. And this is the right time for the. Um, for us as an agame industry then to yeah. figure out <clears throat> what are the use cases here for the industry yes you know we are speculating here now you know could it be that um for example you know netant uh, signs a, a deal with guns and roses um and you can win the symbols in the game for example as, uh, as unique nfts or something yeah. like that and then they disappear from the game once you have won it or now you own it or you know Mm. They, 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 it will be interesting to see how the industry innovates here, but I think the time is now to absolutely to innovate, right? Yes, yeah. yeah, and I think when you tie in NFTs mm. that can provide that real personalization, and I think that's what has real value. Mm. You know, that's what people enjoy about whatever it is that they like to buy and spend their money on mm. and do in their leisure time. Then it gives them a satisfaction. And if that means that they're playing a game where they've got skin in the game because they're putting their money in and they've got a chance of 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 winning and, and that kind of feeling. Um, and then if you tie that back then into having the the blockchain elements as well from a from a tech perspective. So you've got the NFTs in the blockchain, <clears throat> um, a lot of innovation simplify the technology so it becomes kind of transparent mm. then we can spend more of our time innovating and creating that digital art or those digital assets mm -hmm. i think that's going to be key mm. then uh, yeah then i think that aggregation piece and how do we make games faster mm. um then uh, how do we reskin games then you know what, what why don't we allow other people to create the games in the same way that we do with a with an iPad or iPhone? Yeah. And then we provide the engine in the background. <clears throat> um, and, and that's where I think the recommendation engines will come really key. 
as the number of games increases and then the complexity increases and again I, I know I've gone on about it today about the digital twin about how you can see how people react to that mm. <clears throat> then then yeah that there's kind of that Elon Musk moment where it's yeah. like there's something out there yeah yeah, yeah there's yeah. something out there and um it's definitely going to be a great time for for innovation in the industry then yeah i think it's uh yeah we'll, we'll see how it unfolds but yeah. i think with um with smart contracts yeah blockchain then world is our oyster yeah absolutely it's like the uh, right now like the ideas that comes out of the boardrooms right now in this era, like just before kind of the, uh, the blockchain of the revolution, revolution happens and stuff like that, um, it's going to be the next, uh, you know, multi, multi millionaire, mm. uh, your ideas or companies that comes out of this or the next BTG or, yeah. Yes. It's all happening now, I think. It's, it's and also, and also it, is a, it is a time where if you are um, a large organization now, now is the time to like be careful not to lose uh, the eyes of the price, I'd say. Yes, because uh, the the dynamics are shifting very quickly here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just like in the nineties, going from like analog to internet or, or whatever. I yeah, guess, uh, where some businesses were left behind because they didn't uh, transfer quick enough, right? Yes, yeah. yeah which you, again, you can go back to the Nokia example yeah. when they didn't innovate quick enough, and I mm. think that's if if I do my job correctly, mm. which I'm, I'm you know driven to do, is mm. is to make. The technology the transparent and the easy bit which then enables us to do the innovation in the product and that that's where i think it's going to be mm-hmm. going to differentiate um businesses that survive and businesses that that don't yeah absolutely neil it's an absolute pleasure to to have you on the podcast you're obviously extremely well uh, read and, and it's just been super interesting to get to know you and I, in 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 general and um, uh, fascinating to hear kind of your thoughts on, on how the industry will develop and, uh, and just tech and blockchain and mm-hmm. AI and machine learning in, in general. As a final question today, mm-hmm. we spoke about <laughs> before we started here, um, who would be like the 10 people you wanted to have at the, at the dinner table? Maybe not all the 10, but can you mention three people that you would like to have at the dinner table if you could choose anyone in history, dead, alive, anyone? Okay, so I think we'll go with um, uh, Carl Jung. Love it. um, Naval Ravikant. um, And I think I'll throw in a wild card and I'll go with Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, were saying, we were saying before. Yeah, we have to. There has to be some someone to de- to entertain the, the table. That's for sure. Yes. Yeah. 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 It could be a, an interesting dinner. So. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, uh, uh, Neil. Well, thank you so much for coming thank on you. today, and uh, wish you all the best, and wish all the the, the viewers uh, the best as well. It's it's been fantastic today, and and um, yeah, take care and stay safe. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's been good to chat.